Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good afternoon, Ben. How you doing? Ah, doing okay. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, I was talking to somebody who listens to this podcast uh, and uh, has told me uh, some of the, her favorite parts and some of her least favorite parts. And she told me, uh, you know, we're really predictable with our banter. And so she's able to almost always uh, put uh, the mark, put the dial on a certain minute mark, mark so she can skip all of our uh, banter about just life and what's going <laughs> on. So uh, that, uh, what, do you, what do you think about that, Ben? Uh, I think we need to throw her off. <laughs> Maybe we do. Uh, so, and I can say I understand the feeling. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and most podcasts have some times where you know there's just a little bit of talk and seeing what's going on uh, with the leader's life, and a little, a little bit of picking on one another. Uh, and some people like that, and I understand the feeling. I, I sometimes I skip on some really good podcasts. I skip the banter part. So, uh, but uh, so our banter will be meta banter. It will be banter banter about banter, if that sounds good to you. Uh, so, you know, this might seem purposeless, but the, what we're going to talk about today in uh, interview coming up is not purposeless. What's the interview going to be about? Well, it's about a very important topic, family worship, which we've talked about before um, in a specific podcast, but also just in, in conversation in a number of, of different episodes. And so uh, it's too bad I had to miss out on this, but I'm looking forward to hearing from your interview with Jason Helopoulos, who's actually written a book about family worship. Yes, he has. He, uh, one of the experts on it. And without further ado, uh, we'll go ahead and open into the interview with Jason. Uh, well, Jason, tell us about your ministry and how you became passionate about equipping parents. Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. Uh, joy be with you. And uh, there are a few subjects I love to talk about more than uh, parenting our children in the Lord. Uh, and that's maybe because I didn't grow up in a Christian home uh, and so was struggling to figure this out. It's still a struggle, uh, as anybody with kids knows. Uh, you, you never quite arrive on this subject. And every time you think, oh, maybe I'm doing this little part of my life right with uh, raising kids, then uh, something else raises its head, and every kid is different, and so uh, it is always a struggle, uh, but uh, I've watched a lot of other parents and, uh, you know, would always and still pick a lot of people's brains. We're actually, my wife and I are getting together with a couple this upcoming week to pick their brain about how they uh, parented their children, so just always trying to learn and grow in this realm, and uh one of the things that I've found to be the most helpful uh, is this book that we're talking about today uh, is family worship. And I found this to be one of the most beneficial ways to approach uh, Christian parenting. With the book, A Neglected Grace, that seems like an odd title. Uh, a lot of our listeners probably have no idea what uh, we're talking about when we talk about a neglected grace. Uh, and what is this neglected grace that you write about? And why do you think it's so neglected? Well, let's start with the word grace. And so when I think about grace, I think about uh, the mercy and favor of the Lord that he extends to his people uh, through the person of Christ and by the Spirit. 
And uh, as we talk about grace, there are different means of grace that God uses to uh, extend grace to us, you know, principally the Word and uh, prayer and then the sacraments. Uh, but as we think about the Christian life and we um, attend to the Word and as we attend to prayer and then, in, of course, corporate worship as we attend to the sacraments, uh, God ministers His grace to us. And one of the, the great ways that He ministers His grace to us that I was a discipline of the Christian family and the Christian church for generations upon generations, and even we could say for millennia, uh, until probably just the past I don't know, it seems like maybe the past 200 years or so uh, in evangelicalism it has fallen on a little hard times, and that is the practice of family worship. And uh, it's a means of grace. That's why I titled it a neglected grace, because we often approach it as if it's something that's a burden. Uh, but wanted people to see that it's one of the ways that God gives grace to his people, that as a home uh, gathers together around the word and prayer, and then, uh, as I like to say, dare to sing a little bit. Uh, but if you gather around the Word and prayer uh, as a family, that this is one of the chief ways that God ministers to His people and that uh, we receive His grace in our Christian homes and can extend God's grace uh, to our uh, fellow family members, to our spouses and our children. Uh, and it's something that has just fallen on hard times in the past 200 or so years, but was a daily, uh, if not uh, even more regularly, discipline of Christian families through the centuries. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, I think it's such a shame that it has fallen away, but I mean, it's so cool. I, and your book, I mean, you highlight so many of the times where, I mean, it was pivotal in even early church history, I mean, as a common practice among Christians. So, I mean, it is a shame that this has fallen out of sort in a way. Uh, now, did you grow up having family worship in your own home? I didn't. I grew up in, a, in an unbelieving home uh, and so didn't ever see family worship. I remember when my wife and I, we'd been married oh, 22 years uh, this year. And when we first got married, we were both Christians at that point. I came to faith in college. Uh, and so when we got married, I knew that we were supposed to do devotions together. Yeah. And so we would sit down, and I made a royal mess of it. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was laborious. It was uh, just not enjoyable. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. And so after a little time of that, uh, we quickly quit doing that. Uh, and it just didn't mark our home at all. I went through seminary and then was receiving my first call to the pastorate in a church in North Carolina. And when I went out there to candidate, Lee and I went out there to candidate, and we stayed in a family's home, and they had us in the basement. And so we were there for the weekend, you know, it was there where we were supposed to be, you know, showing them who we were. And this family, the father appeared at the top of the steps one night, and he said, hey, do you guys want to come up and join us for family worship? And I remember looking at Leah, and we just kind of both went, well, I guess we don't really have a choice. And so we, we went upstairs, and, you know, they had, I think at that time, maybe six children. And this father and wife and their six children were all sitting in a circle, uh, and the kids were on the floor, and different kids in different kids' laps, and they all had Bibles on their laps. Remember, we sat down with them, and 
they literally just read the Bible for 10 minutes. Uh He asked a couple of questions. They sang a hymn together with hymnals on their laps. And then they prayed. And it took all of maybe 15 minutes at the most. And I remember Lee and I walking downstairs that night and getting downstairs and looking at each other and just having the conversation of, it can be this easy. That that was so easy. Yeah. That was so simple. And it can be that simple. And just seeing that, of all things, while I was candidating to be their pastor, <laughs> uh, seeing this from this godly family and just thinking, yeah. we can do this. Uh, th- this isn't this isn't rocket science. We could do this. Yeah. I you know I I love the humility in that story. You know I mean the way that I think so often leaders in churches and a lot of the uh, the listeners of this. Some of the listeners are leaders in the churches. Some are members within uh, the churches that uh, we pastor as well. Some are random people who have managed to find the podcast and we're encouraged by. Uh, but I think it's so hard sometimes for leaders of churches, uh, even elders, uh, to kind of learn and be willing to learn uh, from mature godly members of the church that are doing things that we aren't willing to do uh, or aren't ready to do yet. So, and I think that's a really awesome and encouraging story of that. So. Praise the Lord. I think that is very true. I think, you know, the Lord has put us in each other's lives to encourage one another in godliness and holiness and set examples before each other. And and actually, as a as a kind of a a side note here, I think that's one of the reasons to practice family worship in your home is uh, because as you gather together as a family, the Lord has put you together. We often talk about this in my family that the Lord has put us together. Uh, My wife and my two kids and I has put us together to help one another along in the Christian life. And I truly believe that. And one of the ways we do that is by worshiping together. Amen. That's wonderful. Uh, Now, a lot of uh, listeners might be feeling, you know, they're so busy putting their children in all these uh, church programs. Uh, Some are very good. Uh, We love a lot of great uh, gospel-centered children's programs, especially Sunday school. We talked about that in a recent podcast, actually. But does family worship really matter if we have our kids in enough church programs? I mean, if we have three or four church programs, are we just pretty much good in the discipleship of our kids? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I, I am all for children's programs. Uh, I'm thankful for churches that have uh, age-appropriate things for kids from VBS to Sunday school to youth group or uh, whatever it may be, children's choirs. Uh, I think those are incredibly helpful and uh, can be very beneficial. So don't want to denigrate that at all. But having said that, I, I think if if we look at those programs as rather a supplement to what parents are already doing rather than a substitution for what parents are to be doing. Uh, I, I think that's the correct way to, to view them. You know, if we look biblically at the scriptures, whether we take a passage like Deuteronomy 6 or we take Psalm 78 or we take uh, Ephesians uh, 5 and 6 there, whatever we take these different passages, we can see clearly that the responsibility for educating our children in the things of God is the responsibility of the parents, of the Christian parents. And, And I think especially the responsibility falls upon the Christian husband, father. Uh, that, that is his responsibility in the home. And so to to uh, kind of put everything in the hands of the church and outside of the home, I think is sometimes to shirk our responsibility. 
The other thing is I think this is as I want my children to know that as I'm parenting them, that this is the most important thing of our life. And we want to show that by gathering together around the word together and praying together, that this isn't just something we do on Sundays and Wednesdays or but this is something that really is the center of our life together. We are a Christian family, and uh, I am raising them to know the Lord and to delight in God and to put Christ at the center of their life. And so just doing this together each day, uh, something very simple, just very simple, uh, doing it together each day uh, helps them to see that this is the center of our life together, and it really helps to shape our family life together. Yeah. That's great. Uh, that's a great answer. So a question that I actually think kind of connects a little bit to another book that you've written as well uh, is how does family worship actually equip children for corporate worship? Yeah, so family worship, you know, is very basic. Uh, as I like to say, it's just it's just 10, 15 minutes. Uh, you can make it more than that, but it only has to be 10 or 15 minutes of everyone that's in the house gathering together just to read the word, to pray a little bit, and then dare to sing a little bit. Uh, and you keep it simple. Uh, but what it does is it shows, helps your children to understand the primacy of the word and the primacy of prayer. And so when they go into corporate worship, uh, they begin to appreciate the word as it's read, as it's preached. They begin to be able to participate in the prayers because they've been doing this day in and day out at home. And, and they know the word more fully. So we all know that when we sit in corporate worship and are in the gathered worship of the church, if we know more of the scriptures, then things come alive in the reading of the word and the preaching of the word, the more that we know of the word. It just fires all kinds of things off in our minds and our little hearts. And so it does with our children. It, it will also help them as they are singing some at home to know some of those hymns or songs that are being sung on Sunday morning. Uh, and, you know, it helps them learn how to sit still a little bit and just listen to the reading of the word and praying. But, but I think most importantly, it's this, it's that as we center our home upon the word of God and prayer, it's centering our kids upon the means of grace and upon Christ. And so it's not so foreign then when they're gathered together with all of these other people and they're just doing the same thing in corporate worship. Uh, we're, we're just centering ourselves upon the word of God and prayer and Christ. And they're doing this day in and day out. So it's not so strange when they're gathering together on Sunday with others to do it. That's awesome. So, yeah, I can testify to that impact in, in our home. Uh, you know, our oldest daughter actually a few years ago uh, when she was even younger than she is now, uh, she had commented one Sunday after a worship service, uh, Daddy, is, is Sundays kind of like what we do at home after dinner? And I was like, <laughs> Love <it>. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad. I was so encouraged that she kind of saw that, that the dots connected in such a profound way. So, And I can Love testify it. that has been such a huge help for us and discipling within the church has been discipleship in the home. Uh, now, how do we help our families see ourselves as key figures in salvation history and family worship? That's actually from a line in your book that I really enjoyed. Yeah. You know, what? one of the things that I often think about, especially with children, but it's true of all of us, uh, is that we love stories. 
You know, we, we love the idea of story. And I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus, most of his teaching is done in uh, parable form where it's a story and uh, it's not just straight didactic teaching. And I think that's because you and I love to enter into stories. So whether, you know, that is the success of Hollywood, that's the success of fiction novels, that's the success of of drama and Broadway plays and everything, is that we love story. And uh, when we're talking about the Bible, I, I think one of the most helpful things to understand is as we're reading the scriptures together, is that we're reading one great story, the story of redemption, which is the greatest story in history, because it is the story of history. And to help ourselves to see and to help our children see as we're doing worship together and family worship together, that that we have this long line of saints. We have, you know, from from Adam to Abraham to Moses to David to the New Testament saints of Paul and Peter and et cetera, and that we are just but one more, in the best sense of the word, character in that long story, and that all of this is being orchestrated and put together to give glory to God and for the good of the church, and that we— as individuals, exist as characters in this story. Yeah. So I have real purpose. Uh, I have real responsibility. And uh, to help my children to see that and help my spouse see that, uh, I think is one of the great blessings of reading the scriptures together is to say, ah, we're in this long line of saints uh, that we're reading about. And that's why this book is for us. And we have the same opportunity to give glory to God. And we have the same responsibility to do so. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. I think you really hit the nail on the head in that. Uh, now, how should people start practicing family worship? Uh, and, you know, with that, I think it's relevant to ask, is it ever uh, too late or even too early to start family worship? Yeah, let's tackle that that last part first. I remember sitting with a, an older gentleman one time uh, that had come to me and uh he said, you know, he said, Jason, he said, I've made a wreck of my marriage. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I just haven't loved my wife well. And they'd been married at that point probably for 40 years. And uh, I was young and uh, zealous. Uh, this was probably 20 years ago. And I remember looking at this older saint and saying to him, it's not too late. And he looked back at me and he said, no, Jason, it's it's too late. And I said back to him as a rejoinder, I said, it's never too late to start loving your wife well. Uh, and I look back on that brazen young man and I think, ah, he was he was pretty brazen. But I would tell him to say the exact same thing because it's never too late to start. Now, there may be that we have uh, some bad fruit as a result of having not begun some things earlier, uh, but the Lord can also restore the years that the locusts have eaten, uh, and that's a promise of our God, and so it's never too late to start. And to start is really just start simply, just start very easy. Uh, don't have great expectations. Uh, as I tell people, just take a book of the Bible or take a segment of Scripture. If it's with young children, take something that's in narrative form, so something from the Gospels, or take some Old Testament narrative that is easy to engage, and just read a very short section. Uh, 
you know, if it's with older children, same thing. Still, just read a very short section. If it's just you and your wife, just read a very short section to start with. Uh, something that maybe takes three minutes to read. And then you don't even have to do anything with it. You don't have to ask yeah. a question if you're not comfortable with it. You don't have to teach it. Don't feel like you have to do that. I wouldn't even recommend that. Uh, just read a short section and then just pray. Pray together. Say, how can I pray for you? This is how you can pray for me. Uh, and and just pray. If you don't know how to pray, then you pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then in your private times of worship, you start asking the Lord, Lord, teach me to pray. Or I tell people, take a psalm and just turn the pronouns in it from I to us and we uh, and pray that together as a family. But just keep it brief, keep it simple, but just start doing it. And then just try and do it each day. Um, and that consistency over time will pay incredible dividends and incredible fruit. My family, listen, we we can't do it every day. I, I think it's a, a good week uh, if we are doing four times a week. Uh, I feel like it's a great week when we've hit five times a week. Uh, I would say probably most weeks uh, we are gathering together four times a week out mm -hmm. of the seven days to do family worship. Uh, it's a bad week if it's three. Uh, it's a horrible week if it's one. Mm -hmm. uh, but but that happens. Yeah. And so it's a means of grace. So tell people, look, if, if you've missed it for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden you realize it or it's been a bad week and you only have done it once where you had been doing it for three or four times a week the weeks before – Again, it's a means of grace. You don't have to restart the wheel up. You just pick it right back up again, and yeah. you just read a short passage and pray together. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, so you're not recommending that the first time somebody tries to start family worship, they read the entire book of Deuteronomy with their toddlers. Not Deuteronomy, not Leviticus. I wouldn't do that. You know, I mean, if you want to read through a uh, whole gospel of Matthew, you could do that. No. In one Start setting? Simply, just a brief thing. Just a brief thing. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So uh, now uh, should with uh, talking about what we're going to study in family worship, uh, should you use storybook Bibles, devotionals, or should you just read random bits of the Bible when you're in family worship? Yeah, I, th this is a great question. It's probably the one I most often get from parents of young children, especially where they'll say, uh, would it be all right if we use a storybook Bible or something like that? I say, well, listen, I, I think you have to make a decision for your family and what you feel best about and where your conscience is at. Let me just tell you my, my practice, what our practice has been and why I've chosen that practice. So I have always, since the time that they were infants, uh, we have always read straight from the Bible that we use in our church. In our church, we use the ESV Bible. Uh, and so we use that Bible. I give them their own Bible. So they have their own Bible on their lap from when they are probably four years old on up. Uh, and, you know, before that, they were sitting on my wife's lap or on my lap as we read the Bible. But we've always used the Bible that we use in church for a couple of reasons. One is that I want them to begin to understand that language so that yeah. when they're in worship on Sundays or when they're at youth group or whatever, that they don't they know that language that's in that Bible. But more importantly, I want them to know that that Bible is for them and that the children's Bible 
is isn't somehow that's their Bible, and then the Bible that mommy and daddy use, that's the adult Bible, but rather that the Word of God is for our children. And I want them to become comfortable with it and know it and not see it as that's the adult's book. And so we've always just used the regular Bible at home with our children, and uh, that's what I recommend to people, and, and uh, we've seen the fruit from that in our own children's lives. You know, I love that line you said, the Word of God is for our children. I, I just really think that is so powerful and so true. Uh, what do you uh, say to the family then that feels uh, that they have no time for family worship? You know, I know, and my encouragement to family worship, I've encountered that a lot. Families that, that are busier than we are, even those even as we're in ministry, and they just feel like they have no time for family worship at all. Yeah, this is this is a I think a a trap of our age and also a blessing of our age. I mean, the blessing of the age is that man, we can do so many things uh, in this day and age. There are so many activities which our kids can be involved in. There are so many activities that we as a family can be involved in, and often those activities are are really good things. Uh, some of them are you know the things of the church. A church can have so many activities during the week that a family can be tied up four or five nights of the week if they want to be. And those can all be good things. And then you add sports on top of it and ballet and art and music, and uh, it can just get very busy. And I understand that. Having said that, though, I I think what we want to say is what is is the main thing that we want our children leaving our home uh, reflecting upon? So when our children look back upon... 18 years of our parenting, what is it that we hope that they say when they leave the home or that has most shaped them when they leave the home? And when I think of it, the thing I I hope my children say, especially when they leave the home, is that uh, we knew that mom and dad always loved us. I I hope that's one of the things they say. Uh, They loved us. The second thing that I hope that they say is that – Mom and dad always pointed us to Christ. And and I think one of the chief ways that we can do that is by practicing family worship regularly at home. My guess is, is that we think we're doing it a lot more than we actually are if we don't have something that's just consistent and regular that's occurring in the home. We think we're having more conversations about Christ than we are. We think we're talking about the Word more than we are and that we're reading it more than we are. We think that we're praying more than we are. And to me, family worship is just a vehicle. It's a vehicle by which we just have a kind of a consistent, regular time together as a family where we're centered upon Christ and reading the Word and praying together. And and I think we have to make time for that. Uh, if that's if that's not something that is uh, at the very center of our life together as a family, uh, and then something else is. So yeah. what is that something else? Is it soccer or is it ballet or is it the nightly news or is it eating dinner together as a family, which those are all can be absolutely wonderful things, but they're not the best thing. Uh, the best thing is I want our family centered upon Christ. And how do we center upon Christ? Well, we we read his word and we pray. Uh, that's how he ministers to us and gives himself to us. Uh, so 
I want that to be our, our practice more so than anything else in the home together. And hopefully then when our children look back, they say, you know, mom and dad, they didn't do this perfectly. They didn't yeah. do it maybe even well. Uh, but I do know that they loved us and they loved Christ and kept putting us in the way of Christ over and over and over every single week. And uh, for some of you that are high achievers every single day. So. Yeah. that's right. So, you know, one thing I suspect some listeners here, and I'm sure many readers of your book have encountered situations where a spouse isn't on board with this idea of family worship. And I want to ask, what do you do if a spouse isn't on board or maybe even if their spouse doesn't know the Lord? Yeah, I think they're a little different. I think if, if your spouse is a believer and uh, doesn't want to participate in family worship, uh, I think one of the things to do is to gently encourage them, tell them how important this, this would be to you and how you think it would benefit your own soul. Uh, I think if you're a husband, you especially need to be clear with your wife that, listen, you're not looking to do family worship because you want to point out her sins or her faults yeah. or her failures, or you're going to put her on the spot and make her pray or uh, anything like that or embarrass her. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes husbands have done these kind of things, and we're reaping some of the consequences of that, maybe in our own marriages. So we just want to communicate that, look, this is a means of grace. It would be helpful for my own soul, and think it might be helpful for our family. Uh, and ask them to pray about it and think about that. Uh, and then I would come back to them in a couple of weeks and ask them if they're willing. If they're still not, then I would just start practicing it. Uh, if you have kids, I would say, you know what, I I understand you don't feel comfortable joining us, but I want you to know that each night at such and such a time, I'm just going to get on the couch with the kids and we're going to read the Bible together and pray together and keep it very simple. Uh, and I'm not doing this to, because yeah. I'm upset with you. I, I want to see you on the couch with us someday, uh, but I understand you don't feel comfortable with it right now, but we're going to start doing this and and I hope you'll join us someday. And then you start praying for your spouse that they would join you someday and you just you start doing it. Uh, if it's an unbelieving spouse, I think you just start praying for them. Uh, and you make it your chief prayer is that the Lord would open up the opportunity for you to start reading the word with your spouse. Uh, even now you're praying for your spouse. Uh, and you just start showing private devotions regularly, not as a show, uh, but you do it as a, as a way of demonstrating that you know what, you are in need of this word, and you approach it in humility uh, with your spouse, and hopefully they see by your example, and as a result of your prayers, the Lord answers and opens that door for them to join you. That's good. Uh, how do you ensure, you've mentioned a lot that family worship should be consistent. How do you make sure that it is regular consistent? Do you have to go uh, to the extreme that a lot of the English Puritans did, uh, where they would often require sometimes family worship uh, happen twice a day? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think you just have to find what works for your family. So all of our families are different. So just find a time that works for your family. Uh, and for some families I know, that's first thing in the morning when everybody gets up. Some it's over breakfast. Some it's, uh, you know, they don't clear off the dishes from the dinner table and they get the Bible and they sit around the dinner table and do it together. For others, it's right before bed. They all gather together in a bed together and do it. Uh, wherever it is, whatever, 
whatever time, I would just establish a consistent time and a consistent place. Those two things will go a long way, especially with young kids, because they'll know that this is when we're doing it. This is when we always do it, and this is where we do it. So for my family, it was always helpful. It's always been helpful that we do dinner, and then we do the dishes together, and then everybody knows that we're going to meet on the couch, and we're going to do family worship together for 15 minutes. And that was just very easy with my kids, especially when they were little, because it just became routine. And we would do it once a day, and it just became the routine. And this this is what marked our family. We did dinner together, we did dishes together, and then we did family worship together. And then everybody kind of went about the rest of their night together uh, or in their separate spheres. So just make it same place, same time, and that will go a long ways to, to helping with consistency. That's good. Uh, the uh, what Now, what are some potential pitfalls in family worship? Uh, or, uh, in other words, what is family worship not? You spent some time in your book talking about what family worship is not. Yeah, it's not a, a number of things, but uh, the two that, or maybe the three that I would mention specifically is, one, it's not a time to castigate. So this isn't a time for the head of the home, whether that's a father or a mother, uh, to to embarrass other people in the family or to point out particular sins of people in the family or to rebuke certain fa- members of the family, uh, that that will ruin family worship very quickly. Now, it may be that as you grow as a family that, you know, you can put family sins on the table during family worship and you can talk about them and dress them together, but it's not a time to call out a particular family member. Uh, the second is it's not a replacement for worship. For a corporate worship, so we want families that are worshiping, yeah. But we don't want to worship the family, mm-hmm. and I think there is a there's been a wonderful correction. I think in evangelicalism over the past twenty or so years, where we've put more of an emphasis upon the family and caring for your family. But I think that can easily bleed into worshiping the family, and that's not what we want to see happen here. Where uh, we are worshiping the family, and, and one of the ways that it does that is that it becomes a substitute for corporate worship, for gathering together with God's people. Our families desperately need to be in a, in a church where the saints are gathering together for corporate worship and all the gifts are present, and where we're sitting under the uh, authority of the elders of the church and men that are gifted to preach are preaching to us and informing our souls uh, by God's grace. And so we we don't want it to be a substitute. Uh, the other, the third, is that uh, speaking of worshiping a family, we don't want it to become the thing that, that excludes us from interacting with any others. Uh, you know, some will say, well, we can't participate in youth group or we can't serve in this way where we can't because we need to be home together as a family worshiping together and i think that's also an error to an extreme uh where we the family all of a sudden becomes more important than everyone else around us uh and what what i think is as a family worships together and as it's participating in the means of grace it should help to fill the souls of the family and help to fill that family love so much so that it overflows to others, where it moves us outward instead of inward. And so our family, because 
uh, we're attending to these means of grace regularly and we're growing in love together, that it grows us in love for others. And so we find that our family is naturally uh, and out of desire seeking to minister to others uh, more regularly instead of just being consumed with ourselves. And then well, just a few more questions here. Uh, you know, on one question I want to give some context to before I ask. Uh, so, you know, I remember the first time I kind of led an encouragement to family worship I was at another church. And uh, I remember I kind of we had this family worship discussion seminar thing uh, and a parent that had mostly adult children. Uh, came and uh, I, I realized I inadvertently made uh, what should have been just an encouragement uh, into something that just became a rock of shame that uh, really uh, burdened her down uh, and feeling as if she's failed because she didn't do this for her children when they were in the home. Uh, and I want to ask, how do you avoid shaming parents of adult children that didn't know about family worship or just didn't do this practice with their kids? Yeah, I appreciate that question. I, I do think this is something we have to be careful about uh, because this isn't something that is to be legislated as if uh, this is what, uh, if you didn't do this, you were somehow a failure as a Christian parent. Uh, as I say in the book, that there's no verse that you can pull out where it says, thou must do family worship. Uh, I'm just of the conviction that I just don't think without something consistent like that, that we're leading our family to worship as often as we need to be. So, uh, you know, there are many families that this is not practiced in or hasn't been practiced in. And as I always tell these parents uh, as they're wrestling with that, uh, I tell them, look, every single parent, no matter how faithful they have been, you know, it could be they practice family worship every evening, they always talk to their kids about Christ. Uh, Christ was the number one conversation topic in their home. They mm -hmm. went to corporate worship uh, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and they were people of hospitality and service. And Every single parent, no matter how well they have done, will get to the end and think, oh, I wish I'd done better. Every single one. Yeah. Uh, I've never met a parent yeah. that thinks that they've arrived. Uh, we all wish we had done some things differently. The second is this, is that, is that I believe that the Word of God works and that prayer works. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much, and the Word of God does not return void. Uh, and so these Christian parents, though they may not have practiced family worship, uh, they did bring their children uh, regularly to corporate worship. They did pray for them regularly. Again, not as much as they would have wanted. Uh, we all get there out. Thinking about this morning, I was pulling out of my driveway and uh, prayed for my family while I was headed to church. And I thought, oh, I think this is the first day in probably five days that I stopped in my car and I prayed for my family before I left the house. And thought, oh, Jason, why, why didn't you do this over the past five days? We, we all look back like that. But I have prayed for my family. They have been in the midst of the word of God read and preached. Uh, I have shared the gospel with them. Yeah. And so I trust God to work by that. Uh, I trust him to attend to the prayers of his people, and I do trust that as he's promised, the word of God does not return void. And mm -hmm. so encourage those parents, look, nobody feels like they've done it well. No one feels like they've done it perfectly. Uh, but you were faithful in sharing the word with them, and you were faithful in praying for them. And so 
we are dependent upon God, every single parent, no matter how well we've done or not. And so we're going to entrust these children to his care. That's a very pastoral response. Very uh, much a shepherd attitude. I think that's really great. So um, now uh, the last uh, question before we kind of find out uh, where listeners can follow your ministry. Uh, I want to ask to make it personal. Uh, tell us about some instances where family worship has been an impact on your family. Well, let me uh, let me share this this story about my son. I, I don't share it when he's uh, where it's somewhere that he is locally, uh, but he's given me permission that I can share this, uh, and so I'll share this story since this is going out to um, uh, people on a podcast that he he wouldn't know. Uh-huh. Uh, but he when we, when he was probably. I don't know, maybe four years old or five years old. Uh, there was a there was a day uh, where uh, we were doing family worship and we were reading through the account of the Transfiguration. And I was talking to the kids about, oh, how glorious will it be that day when we are face to face with Jesus and we shall gaze upon his glory forevermore. We were talking about that. And my son in family worship, he said, Daddy, if I am in heaven, will I see Jesus's face? And uh, I heard the the two-letter word there. Uh, I didn't miss it. And I said, well, son, what do you mean by if? And he paused for, I don't know, probably 15 seconds. It was dead silence in the room. And he said, he said, Daddy, I... I just don't know if I will be in heaven. And I said, well, son, why don't you know if you'll be in heaven? And he paused again, and, and he said, uh, I have such mad and bad thoughts about other people. And I said, oh, son, uh, don't you know that when Jesus died on the cross, his death on the cross was enough to cover over every mad thought and every bad thought we've ever had. The next day, the next morning, we were getting ready for work. I was getting ready for work and uh, was getting dressed in my bedroom. And my wife was in our bathroom. That's right next to our bedroom. And my son walked in and they're homeschooled. And and my kids love electronics, love the iPad. <laughs> Don't all so, kids... That's exactly right. And so he he walked up to the bathroom where my wife was uh, doing her hair, and he said, uh, "Can I can I play the iPad?" And she said, "No, Ethan, not not until we've done school." He said, "I'm done with my chores. Can I please do the iPad?" And she said, "No." And I heard him going back and forth with his mom in the bathroom, and my wife is a rock, and wow. so she didn't give in, and uh, and all of a sudden. I heard him get uh, turn around. I could hear him stomping down the hall angrily. Uh-huh. And uh, he came into the bedroom where I was at, and, and I looked at him, and tears were just streaming down his yeah. face. But it, it was a different cry. He, he wasn't angry. It was a softer cry. And so I called him over to myself, and I said, Ethan, come here. And I, I put him up on my knee as we sat on the bed. And he put his head on my shoulder. And I said, son, are you crying because you were having mad and bad thoughts about your mother? 
And he said, yes, Daddy. And I said, do you remember what we talked about last night? How Jesus' death upon the cross is more than sufficient to cover over all of our mad thoughts and all of our bad thoughts. And he said, yes, Daddy. And I said, would you like to pray about that? And he said, yes, Daddy. And so we prayed. After we prayed, he got up and he went and asked for forgiveness from his mom and he went about his day. And what struck me in that moment was that if we had not been doing family worship, that opportunity would have never came. I wouldn't have known my son's heart in that moment. Uh, I wouldn't have known what those tears were in that moment. And the conversation that we had the night before allowed me as a father to give gospel grace freedom to my son in the name of Christ and to pray with him. And uh, it's moments like that that are priceless. Amen. Now, family worship, they don't always end that way, right? No. Sometimes it's a mess. And sometimes it feels <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, we're pulling out teeth and everybody's pulling hair and uh, would have rather have done anything than go through that torture that we just went through uh -huh. for the past 50 minutes. But there are moments like the one that I just described where you think, okay, if I had to go through six months of torture, I would do it. Just for one moment like that. Amen. That's that's such an encouraging story. It's I, I think that just shows the beauty and opportunities in family worship that really all families can have. You know, I don't think that's an extreme exception. You know, I think that's the no. norm of what happens through that. That's awesome. So uh, now yes. I, I want to close by asking um uh, how can people follow your ministry and learn more? And by the way, we've been so thankful to have you on the podcast. Uh, and uh, I know, uh, though Ben wasn't able to join us for this interview, uh, Ben was deeply grateful that you were able to come on. I appreciate that. I, you know, I would have you follow Christ. Uh, if I can help you to do that, I'm, uh, I, I count that as a privilege and uh, a joy. Uh, but have you follow Christ uh, if, you know, some of my sermons are helpful. You can, of course, find those at universalreformchurch.org, uh, where our website has all of those. I think, you know, we also have a uh, an app uh, for your phone where you can do the sermons, etc. Uh, I try and put some things on Facebook and Twitter every once in a while. Um, and you know, I've written a few books that you can find uh, about anywhere that sells books, Amazon or Westminster Bookstore or uh uh, outlets like that. So just want to serve Christ along with you and, uh, and give glory to him. So. Amen. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week and join us again every first and third Thursday.